Today's scripture is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Love it. Love it. You're here. I'm here. We are blessed. Uh, I was glad when they said unto me, let us come into the house of the Lord. Amen. Wherever God's people are gathered, it's the house of the Lord. My name is Marcus Doe, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Grateful uh, to be serving you in this city in such a wonderful time. Uh, I was reminded as I was sitting, uh, listening to that last song the worship team was singing, um, 2022, uh, March 31st, marks 29 years since I came to this country as an orphan refugee from West Africa. Hadn't, having lost both my parents in war within a span of 16 months, came with the clothes that I had on my back to Boston, Massachusetts, having not seen temperatures below 70 degrees in my life. (laughs) I shed a tear because um, this week as I was preparing to come to the States, there were so many things that I thought I was losing. Family, not knowing whether the rest of my siblings were still alive in war, the war's still going on, and I'm lucky enough to escape live as a refugee and finally get a chance to come to the States. And I'm losing my culture, I'm losing my languages, um, food, friends, coming to an unknown world. And when I look at that day and I, and I look at today, I thank God. I always say to myself, how, how did I get here? If it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. So celebrate with me this week on the 31st. Because I look now and I see kids leaving Ukraine as refugees. And I think 30 years later, they will be affected by what's happening today. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for those people. Wars are hard. Wars are terrible. We're the worst on children. 
the transition this morning. This is my armor bird this morning to give me some tissues. <laughs> um, I'd like to remind us all, James chapter 3, verse 1, says, thank you, Annie. That's my wife. <laughs> thank you. James chapter 3, verse 1 is a, a verse that I keep repeating every single time that I step before people to share the word of God. That, that verse reminds me that I've got it. I've got it. Thank you, Keith. Man, I got a lot of help here today. I appreciate it. Uh, not many of us should strive to be teachers because teachers will be judged more strictly. More harshly, some, some translations say, I keep that in my mind. I think about it as I prepare every sermon. Every time I come up to preach or speak, I remember that at some point in my life, when I say goodbye to this earth and stand before my maker, God will ask, did I lead did it courageously? Did I share the word of God accurately as best I could? Did I encourage people to follow him um, in this? Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you this morning for life, life abundantly. I am so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to share your gospel uh, to Americans. Lord, I thank you for what you've given me, the journey you've taken me on. I pray that this morning is just a little glimpse of your kingdom. May I just be the mouthpiece um, to share this word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, I've titled our exchange. The title this morning is Jesus is the Bridge Between Doubt and Faith. Doubt and Faith. We are dealing with doubt this morning in a way that I, I, I would like to address and be completely vulnerable, and I hope you can enter into, me, enter into it with me mentally. John chapter 20, um, verses 24 to 31 it's kind of a summation of John's book that he's writing. And he's saying in verse 30, he said, all of these things that I have written, Jesus has done so much more that I could not record. But I want to tell you something very specifically. All that you have read in this book is to lead to one conclusion. My thesis is that Jesus is God. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. I want to quickly urge you, if you need a Bible at this point, the ushers are in the back and will be glad to hand you one, and that Bible is yours as a gift from the church. If you need a Bible, just slip up your hand, and the naps will get you a Bible. The ushers will get you a Bible. Just slip up your hand. One will be provided to you. If you have one, praise God, you do. Thank you, ushers. If it helps you, go ahead and put your, play, put your phone on airplane mode uh, so that you're not distracted as we engage this morning. If you're the president of the United States or you're on call, feel free to keep it on. Oh, you guys, you got to be with me, right? You're with me. What is doubt? 
Doubt is defined as the, the lack of certainty or conviction about something. We all have them. We doubt many things in our life. We're skeptical about a lot of things. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. It is not the forbidden land that Christians must not go to or see. You remember the scene, the scene in The Lion King when, when and Simone, and, and Timon, not Timon, but Mufasa leaves his son and says, look over the land. This is your kingdom. This will be yours. But over there, you must not go. Sometimes I feel like that's how Christians treat doubt. We don't want to go to that place or we're scared, we're ashamed of that place. Pastor Tim Keller, who we, I, I should say I, <laughs> refer to as the Presbyterian Pope, um, <laughs> he has written many books and is very popular and, and great for all of us, great Christian thinker around the world, author and pastor, says the bigger, the bigger your island of knowledge, the wider your shoreline of doubt. As long as you face and deal with doubt, it can propel you to a greater relationship, a new relationship, a more powerful relationship with God. He describes two types of doubts. He says there is honest and dishonest doubt. Some people doubt God because they know it will change their lives ethically and impact their relationship with other humans. This is why some people doubt. And they can't be honest with themselves and live the way they used to live. So they doubt God as an excuse not to live the way he's called them to live. Because it will stop them from living selfishly and actually live for others. Some don't have honest motives for their doubts, but some do. When I was a teenager, I just expressed earlier, and I will express again, um, I had some honest doubts about God particularly around his love for me, his love for the people that I come from, black people, Africans. I always thought we are suffering on this continent, and then I look in the, mag I look in the magazines that come from the West or from Europe, and I see people enjoying life. It seems everywhere else in the world, people are living what I would like to live. It seemed to me that I and everyone around me was suffering simply because we were born on this continent. Does God care about this continent? So I had some serious questions. I had questions about pain. I had questions about death. I had questions about suffering. I had questions about war. I had questions about children like me. Why evil men seem to succeed? Because what I had seen in war, it was hard for me to reconcile the love of God to what my experience was. Can somebody identify with me this morning? So after I professed faith in Jesus Christ, I began to read the Bible and I was trying to understand my doubts. But this time, I was in the States and my doubts became dishonest doubts. I doubted that God cared because he wouldn't allow me. This is, this, is, this, is, this is the doubt. This is the deep, dishonest doubt I'm expressing to you this morning. He wouldn't allow me the, 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 the privilege or what I would call the, the license to go after the men who made me an orphan. Somebody's going to hear me this morning. 
I expressed, because I knew what the Bible said about forgiveness, but I knew the man who had taken my father's life in a gruesome way, and I wanted to exact revenge. But what I saw in the scriptures was contrary to what I felt. I know somebody in here can identify with that. Your faith in Jesus seems to be getting in the way of something you desperately want for yourself. It's early in the sermon, and I feel like I'm already in your house. <laughs> I passed your block. Now I'm in your house, and you know what the next step is, right? I want to get on your couch, <laughs> opening your fridge and looking all up in there. Most times, we are dishonest with ourselves about our doubts because we want to fit in. I see this in the church. I see this in Christian communities. You ever go to a Bible study and everybody's got it all figured out? Because we Christians are supposed to have it all figured out. Aren't we supposed to not be questioning our faith? Because I've been a Christian for years, right? You're sitting in this group of eight or nine people, and you're in this Bible study, and you're studying, and everybody's throwing out stuff, but no one's asking the questions. Man, I'm struggling with something that I, I don't know where to branch. This is actually more common than we think. People who have been Christians for a long time have this issue. Their island of information has a ballooned and the shoreline of doubt is great, but you're not taking it anywhere. In this scene, in the book of John, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has appeared to a few disciples in one instance on a Sunday morning, and many people, have, those people there have seen him. Mary, and Mary has seen him alive, and she has come back to the disciples and said, hey, I saw Jesus alive. He's alive. Pick me up in verse 24 and 25. He says, now Thomas, as one of, the 12, called a, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas was not there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. In verse, 20, in verse 25, if you're, I, I love languages. I've lost more languages than more people speak. Um, so I dove, when I was in seminary, dove really hard into, into, the, into the, native, the native languages, the original languages of the scriptures. And I don't want you to speed past verse 25 where it says, so the other disciples told him. Can I nerd out for a little bit? All right. So in the original language, as opposed to English, there are two ways to convey the past tense. When he says, I told him, right, it's a past tense verb. Um, the two ways in Greek, one's called the aorist, which means that the action has happened, but it's undefined. So it's, it's like I studied last night. You get it? It's a completed action, right? And then the other way to convey, the other tense or mood to convey the, the past tense is called the imperfect, which indicates a continuous linear action that is not completed. So I was studying last night is different from I studied last night. You understand? Now, this, this I, I love this translation, but it doesn't do us any favors here when it says, I, I, he, the disciples told him. 
is in the imperfect. So the, the phrase I think should be rendered here is the disciples kept telling him. Or they were saying, the NASB, God bless those people, they said they, he was tell, the disciples were saying to him. So here's why that's important. I'm not just nerding out for just nerding out sick. Um, here's why this is important. Over eight days, the rest of the disciples kept telling Thomas, we saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. He is alive. He is alive. This kind of helps you understand his reaction to them. He's kind of a little bit annoyed because he says, unless I see him, unless I see that his hands and a mark of his nails and I place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Can you imagine somebody telling you all week I saw somebody who died? It's hard for you to believe them, right? If I told you right now they're giving away Teslas for a dollar on 22nd Street, you will say to me, Yeah, okay, I don't believe it. I need to see it to believe it, right? I need to see it to believe it. Maybe not Teslas, maybe burritos. (laughs) Put yourself in Thomas's shoes. It's been eight days of multiple people telling him over and over that Jesus has risen. They kept telling him. Thomas is probably thinking, I haven't seen him. Is he going to show up to me? Does he love me? Will I get the same experience? He breathed on you all. Will he breathe on me? What will happen to my ministry? What's going to happen as I go forward? Thomas is experiencing a lack of confidence, not only in his friend's judgment, but skepticism about the resurrection. He says, I will never believe. Thomas uses strong languages here. He uses very, very strong language. In, in, in Greek, the, word, the, the words are ume is a double negative. Double negatives are used in a scripture to actually to show an adamacy. For example, like I will never do something the way that's conveyed in writing in the original language is to use a double negative. So he uses a double negative as John recalls. He says, I will never, it's almost like he's saying, I will never ever believe if I don't see this. An atomist stance is the same word, it's the same construction that Peter uses when Jesus is trying to wash their feet. And he says, Lord, I don't want you to wash my feet. You should not wash my feet. A double negative. It's like he's raising his voice to say, if I don't see it, I, I, I can't believe it. I won't believe. This is not just a doubt, folks. This is a strong doubt with skepticism. I can imagine, like I said, that maybe his voice is perhaps a little raised. He's waiting for Jesus to help him with his doubts. Have you ever doubted? When you doubt, where do you go? Where do you go for answers? We all have doubts. This is not a home Bible study. Don't pretend like you don't got nothing. Where do you go? Google, go to a YouTube rabbit trail. One thing Thomas does is he shares his doubt in community. Don't miss that. He shares his doubt in a community of believers. He comes back to the group. He doesn't stay away. Because here's what, they don't have pictures to show him that we saw Jesus. 
So he comes back to them. I need to see this, guys. This is what I need to see. Show me. When we are deep in our depths of doubt and struggle with whether Jesus loves or cares for us here now in this city, the resurrection is it true we need community. We need people to keep saying to us, Jesus has risen. We need each other to say to each other, Jesus has risen. He is alive. Stay here and he will show you himself. Thomas is trying to get the truth for himself, so he ain't going far. He doesn't care who in the group of disciples knows about his doubts. I hope you're tracking. He does not care who in that Bible study is going to go out and tell somebody else, oh, Thomas is doubting. I have a really small book in my house. I have other books. <laughs> Written by a man named Sky Jathani. The book is called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And he writes... One of the many graces of growing older and being liberated from what others think about me is what others think about me. I have, not yet be, I have not yet been released from this prison fully, but I sense I may be up for parole soon. Thomas is being freed from his prison of doubt and his fear of people. He doesn't care who looks down on him. Some of us need to be set free from the prison of caring what people think about, what we think about the Lord. Deal with doubt honestly and in community. Ask your questions. Most of them have answers, and if they don't, that's where our faith comes in. Doubts push you to get to the point where you have to trust the Lord. That's the point some of us don't want to get to. Jesus is the bridge between doubt and faith. Verse 26 and 27 says this as we keep moving. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and, and, and take your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Jesus appears in the room again. By the way, when they said the doors were locked, it, it, like I said last week, it's not just one door. Usually they were, people were in compounds, so they would lock the gate, they would lock the house door, and they're in a room and they would lock that door. So impossible, unless you're Jesus, to come into the room. Miraculously, here's what Jesus is doing. This is so beautiful. This is so good. This is so good. He said, Jesus is putting to rest and also reaffirming two separate objections to his resurrection. His mirac his, the miraculous appearance amongst the disciples is supernatural. So he's communicating to them, I am God. Physical limitations don't apply to me. And his encounter in this room is telling, other, is telling everybody in that room that I'm also human. When he's saying, I just appeared here, and now I want you to feel my skin, Thomas. I am both God by appearing. I am man, so you can feel me. He's not a ghost. Oh, man, you guys, it's too quiet up in here. He's not, he's not a ghost. 
It's been eight days, by the way. I don't know if you do the math here, but usually rabbis taught that when someone died, it took three days, their spirit hovered for three days before the person was presumed dead. That's why Jesus waited four days to raise Lazarus, and it's been eight days. He doubled it. I'm not a math major, but I think that's it. I am God, he's saying. I'm fully human and fully God, and in these next few moments, you're going to see clearly. Not only do I, can I miraculously appear, but I want you to feel and see that I am human. Jesus gives an answer. One commentator says this. He says, he gives irrefutable, empirical evidence. Put your finger into my wounds. Put it into my side where I was pierced to make sure I was dead. I just imagine feeling. Put yourself in that room. I can just see Thomas, lips quivering, hands shaking, going to touch Jesus. Imagine the faces in the room. Some of them were probably scared but didn't want to admit their doubt. Amen? Jesus is letting Thomas know he is real. He is real. As you and I read over the shoulders and read this story thousands of years later, Jesus wants us to believe. He is not a ghost who miraculously appears. He's a real human being, flesh and blood, scars and tissues. Here's the beauty. Jesus responds to Thomas also in a double negative. This is what leads me to, I tried, this is me reading in the white part of the Bible here. How did Jesus respond to him? What kind of voice did he use? When he used this, he says, do not disbelieve. Double negative. Do not disbelieve. Another way to translate it, he says, do not be an unbeliever. Do not be unbelieving. He's almost saying, stop being faithless, dude. I wish I could get his tone here. Was it gentle or was it a, a raised voice and a rebuke? Because he's using the double negative as well. We don't know. But he. Jesus is saying, I am the bridge between your doubt and unshakable faith. See, Thomas didn't need more information. The other disciples always already gave him the information. What he needed was an experience with Jesus. He didn't need, a lot of the people who are doubting don't need more information. You don't have to have a PhD in apologetics to encourage somebody to believe. You need to encourage them to have an experience with Jesus Christ. We all do this, right? When we get incredible information, we just, we just have to see it to believe it for ourselves. I'm not Jesus, but I want to share a story with you that communicate this. Because I think this, what Thomas is displaying here, is actually seen in the West, in America and in Europe, Clearly, but not quite as clearly as people, as people in, in the East and in, in Africa. I got a lot of African stories today, so bear with me. On July 1st, 2010, I had arrived in Liberia, where I came from as a refugee. 
I hadn't been in Liberia for 20 long years. I left as an 11-year-old, and I returned as a 31-year-old. And I told a few people that I was coming. And the word had spread that I was coming. I can explain what that means, but everybody was, was poised to have a party. One person that had never talked about me personally for 20 years, simply because in, in, in Liberia, when, when people haven't seen you in 5, 6, 7, 20 years, they assume you're dead because of the war, so they don't bring you up to family. They don't ask about you. So she didn't ask about me. She was my older cousin. Her name is Deborah, and in, in, in Americans say Deborah. In Liberia, we say Deborah. But her, her Liberian name is Nyele. I just, I just gave you one, but we'll leave that alone. So Nyele was my babysitter when I was a kid, and she hadn't talked about me in 20 years. And she got word that I had come back, and she said, I can't believe it. I need to see it for myself. On July 1st, I had been in Liberia for about two days, and they had this big party. You know, animals are killed. Jungle Boy is back. All those kinds of things are great. Stews, rice, we're enjoying. I gained 27 pounds in five weeks, by the way, while I was there. True story. Um, everybody killed a cow. Everybody killed a goat, and we did it. We, we did it. I haven't seen them in 20 years, folks. 20 years. And when everybody came, I asked, I said, where is Deborah? It says she's coming. She's coming, but she's walking from her house. Symbolic gesture to enjoy the journey, to come and see what she used to call her son. Here's what many people have made sacrifices so that I can live, so that we could live. She hid the rest of my family for years in the war so that they would escape death. And she didn't know if I was alive. And when I came, as she was, I can just tell you, as she was walking in the driveway coming to the house, and I came off the porch, and she looked at me. I have these scars on my head. And she looked at my face. He said, I need to see the scars to make sure that it's you. It was the fifth greatest day of my life. I cried. She cried. But she had to see it. Not that she was doubting, but she needed to see it. This, I think, is a cultural piece that we miss, and we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. He wants to strengthen his faith by expressing his doubts. Are you with me? He had to see it to believe it. The beauty of this passage, it gets, it gets better. In the next verse, in verse 28, Thomas gives his response after he touches Jesus. He says, Ha curios mu kai, ha theos mu, meaning, my Lord, my God. No disciples before this have called Jesus. God. Thomas is a believer. Thomas has become a Christian. His doubts have been solved because he pressed, he pressed into them. He went into them. For the first time, a disciple calls Jesus not master 
or rabbi or even, or even Messiah. He says, you are God. I believe. When you believe, you start to see. Don't miss that. We often say, I need to see it to believe it. When you believe, you start to see. Thomas confesses that Jesus is Lord and Yahweh, the word reserved for God. Jesus has been trying to tell his disciples this the whole time he's on earth by saying, hey, I and the Father are one. I am that I am. He's saying it to them, and they finally get it. He finally gets it because he is, he is, he is capable. He's, he, he risks all to ask the question in front of everybody. He sees it. My Lord and my God. What's in it for you? What's in this passage for you? Verse 29, Jesus says, I want to give you a blessing. You and I sitting here in Tucson today, I want to give you a blessing. He says, Thomas, you are blessed because you have seen me, but blessed are those who haven't seen me yet believe. That is all of us. Those you are favored by God because you believe and you have not seen. God looks very favorable on those who have not seen. You don't have an eyewitness account of seeing Jesus, but yet you believe. That's a word in the Bible for you. A lot of the time, we, 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 we like to apply things that don't really apply to us personally. This one does, collectively and personally. He is blessing you. I hope you thought when you came to church today you was going to get blessed. You just got blessed. This leaves no room for us to doubt in secret. It leaves room for us to doubt in public and have faith, for us to trust. One commentator says this, and I thought it was, it was kind of funny. He says, none of us here saw George Washington. But you couldn't tell us that George Washington didn't exist, right? He was the first president. We know that because we read it. And we believe that wholeheartedly. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the resurrection, we got questions. But that's okay. That is okay. Commentator says the highest source of truth that we can have is the word of God, the testimony of the word. The testimony and the prophecies of the prophets of old predicted that Jesus would come. The miracles that he would perform, the nature of his teaching while he lived, his death and his, resurrections, his resurrection are evidence to his deity. The evidence is so stacked up, right? He was predicted. He came and he did all they said he was going to do and more. And then he died and then he rose again. And then he showed himself to people all over the neighborhood, all over the town. Here it is. Here is the evidence stacked up. I am man. I am God in flesh. Jesus is the bridge between doubt and faith. If you are sitting in the audience today, if you are sitting in this congregation today, if you are sitting here today and you have doubt, chase them. Grab on to the hem of Jesus' garment and don't let go until those doubts get solved. 
Today at the end of service, when we, if you need someone to pray with you, there will be people in the back to pray if you have doubts. Don't be ashamed. My old pastor, we used to say, don't be ashamed to call his name. Let your skepticism out. Leaders in the church will be here this, this, this afternoon to pray with you. Jesus is who he says he is. Look at the evidence. You can question. You can ask questions. That is okay. But pursue him. Pursue him. Pursue him. Amen. You bow your heads. You have been faithful. You have been good. You have been merciful. Heavenly Father, I know there are many in here who have questions. May they turn to you in community and ask those questions. Sincere, honest doubts have answers. For those who have this honest doubt, would you call them specifically to relinquish what what plans they have in their life and be open for your purpose? Heavenly Father, I pray that you seal this word in the hearts of those who have heard today. In Jesus' name, amen.